If I haven't met you before, I am Wendy Powell, and I'm the community outreach pastor here, which is a bit different role on the team, but when we rally, we all rally. I have to say that I am equally grateful for our team who is back home. It was so good to see some of you in the comments this morning. But I'm also really glad for the team that was back here, that was able to coordinate the prayer, the communication, but also figure out how we would continue the mission of Christ even as we prayed our folks home. And so what fell to me was the preaching. And so I said, well, Lord, well, Lord, <laughs> well, Lord, <laughs> it's Monday morning, and I'm certain that you have something you want to say to your people. And I would super appreciate it if you'd let me know what that is. So as he is faithful, he did. He and I spent a lot of time talking about not just all that unpacks from the truth of the cross, but what it means to center our lives on the cross. So I hope you will indulge me as I share just some of that conversation between he and I this morning. I mean, if you think about that point in human history where God himself decides to intersect humanity, think about it. He contained all of who he is as God into a human baby body and chose to live 30-some years here limiting himself to our experience. That's wild. And he did it so he could show us exactly who God is. And so he could come to achieve more than we can even realize this side of eternity by what he accomplished on the cross. Let me read John 1, a couple of verses, 14 and 18 to you. It says, The word, the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among you. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The cross is really the focal point of his powerful purpose in coming. If you think about all of history, the cross is the point at which we pivot towards an eternity where all is made right. Think about that. For all that is broken in our world, the cross is where we took a turn, and we are headed, inevitably, to an end where the enemy and evil and sin are defeated completely. It's already in motion. There's nothing he can do to stop it. And in the same way, creation, God's perfect good intention for all that he created, has been marred, has been broken, has been deformed, has been distracted, and then comes the cross. And that sets in motion where sin and death have lost their hold on us, and slowly but surely the kingdom of God is coming. It cannot be stopped, and it will result in a new heaven and a new earth someday in which we get to see the way God always meant it to be. I'm ready. I want that. <laughs> Pretty bad on most days. And at the same time, the cross is very personal. It was the door God opened for us to reconcile with our creator, for us to experience redemption. All that has gone wrong in our life is set right through the cross. And that's what I want to unpack with you today. I have to say, for as long as I've been a Christian, I think the cross is one of those things that you just keep unpacking for your whole life as a follower of Jesus. Every time I think I get it, there's more. Every time I think I've got the soundbite, he's got something else to say. 
right? It is, it is so big, so important in our faith that I don't think there's a short answer. But here's what I can tell you. When I took some time with Jesus and said of all the things, Lord, that we could talk about this weekend, what do you most want them to know about your cross and what it means for them to center their lives on it? He only gave me four things. Of the myriad of stuff we could talk about, he only gave me four things. So that's where we're headed this morning. And I have to be upfront. I'm going to share some hard truth with you. It was one of those things where you're like, say that, Lord? Say that. And so up front, I want to say to you, if you start to have feelings of shame, that is the enemy. If you start to feel defensive or like you need to yeah, but, yeah, but, that's the enemy. He is looking to knock you off center and off focus. And you have every right to tell him where to take it, right? But if you start to feel some regret or some longing, if you start to realize that there is something you are missing, don't blow that off. Press into that. Be uncomfortable with that. And then know that that is the Holy Spirit's conviction opening another door to something more and something better for you. Okay? So those are the differences. If you're heading for shame, not God. Kick him to the curb. If you are uncomfortable, that's God. Head towards him. There is something good on the other side. Okay? Those are our ground rules. So the first thing I think most of us think of when we talk about the cross is that point of decision that starts our life in Jesus. But I'm going to go ahead and take a risk here and say that I've actually met many, over my years here, I have met many CTKers who have an incomplete understanding of that decision. You see, the, the sur giving our life to Christ isn't just about being sorry for our mistakes and our failures. That's part of it. It's the part we call repentance. And it's not just about believing that God is and that God loves us, although it is part of it. That's the part we call faith. But our repentance and our faith are meant to lead to surrender. To the question that Jesus asked every single one of his disciples. If you go back through the stories, right? He wanders past the fishing net and what's his question? Will you follow me? Will you drop what you're doing and follow me? Will you yield every part of who you are and every part of your life to my leadership? And that is the part we call surrender. And the more I've thought about surrender this week, especially in the context of how we yield, how we surrender to Jesus, I can't pull it apart from obedience. With God, if surrender isn't about doing what he asks, I'm not exactly sure what it's about. And so the complete decision, the whole offer that God makes at the cross is, do you understand yourself as sinner and me as God? And in that relationship, it is only right and good that I would lead and you would follow, not the other way around. And if we want a savior and we want a father who loves us, but not a Lord, that's actually not a deal Jesus is willing to make. That's not what he has to offer. I thought of this picture as I was out in my garden battling the raking and all the rest 
Um, if you put a seed on the sidewalk and you water it faithfully and you make sure it gets really good sunlight and you even sprinkle a little miracle Grow fertilizer on it, will the seed grow? Not at all. And it's actually really vulnerable to coming, you know, a bird, a predator, just a kick of a foot, and it is nothing. And I thought, it's the dirt, right? In nature, to be planted is to be buried, is to die, to then birth new life. And I think sometimes in our Christian culture, we get so enamored, so excited about who God is and have so much relief around the forgiveness we experience at the cross that we kind of skitter off and forget that those are setting the stage for surrender, for a yielding to our creator. So what happens when we make that complete, complete conversation with God is he actually is trying to give us new life, born again into the family of God and given the Holy Spirit, which we're going to circle back to a few times because that is essential. Here's what doesn't happen. The invitation at the cross isn't, would you like to add some Jesus to your old life? How about some church? Just kind of toss that in the mix, stir it up. Old life plus church, Christian activities equals better. That's not at all the offer. Please don't misunderstand him. He doesn't want to add things to your old life. He wants to give you a brand new life. But we have to die to get it. There is no shortcut. There is no other path. We have to die to ourself. We have to die to our patterns of thinking. We have to die to our old ways of relating to others, to our old priorities. All of it's got to go to receive the new life he has for us. Let me read to you from Ephesians 4, the way Paul describes this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If you've stopped short of surrender, you don't have access to new life. But today would be a great day to give God his rightful place as Savior, Father, and Lord. Will you die? The beauty of baptism, what we just watched, is this symbol of dying to self and being raised to new life. Every person you saw in that tank has put their faith in God, has repented of their sins, and has also surrendered to Jesus. He is leading their lives now. I love the way Galatians 2 puts this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that piece, Christ in me. The moment that you surrender, you are born again, and you, inside of you, have the Holy Spirit of the living God. That is a major advantage on this new path you're on. You can't do any of the good stuff that God intends for your new life without him, not any of it, not with your best effort. Not, no matter how hard you try, without the Spirit, this won't work. And it's freely given. 
The theology term for this process is sanctification. The more common term we use is redemption. Both mean to cooperate with the work of the cross. It is not a one-time thing. It is the process of putting off the old self, putting on the new, dying to self, embracing new life. For all our days here, until we reach home, heaven, we will be putting off the old, putting on the new, and the Holy Spirit is our only way to do that. For the cross of Christ to give us new life, to heal us and refine us and mature us, we have to stick with the process. We do, in fact, have to grow up. This can be another place where we stop short of centering our life on Jesus. We're back to the mix and mingle, right? A little this, a little that. I like some Jesus, not too much. Oh, no, you can't speak into that, Lord. But yes, I'd love to know what you have to say over here. That is not the new life. The new life is a process of growing up in Christ. And this is another place that I will lovingly say I bump into folks who have been baby Christians for years, bottle-fed by others with spiritual milk, unable to handle something more because they've never learned how to feed themselves, let alone prepare meals for others. And I say that lovingly, not out of a spirit of condemnation. Remember, that's the wrong voice. I say that because you're missing out. You're missing the very best parts of life with Christ. But it requires that you say yes again and again to his work in your life to become more mature. If you think my version sounded harsh, let's check out Paul in Hebrews 5. He's a very direct man. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the word of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is still, is still unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That idea, unskilled in the ways of God. When you are born again, what is now available to you is all of God's ways, all of God's norms, all of God's values, all of God's principles and priorities. But those don't just download like the matrix. You actually have to pursue them. You have to spend time with God. You have to learn from him. And he doesn't usually take you off in a corner and teach you by yourself. He teaches you through others. That's why it's darn near impossible to do this life with Christ alone. It's why we're put into spiritual families. And so if that is you, if you know that there is, there is a youngness to your faith, there is a not yetness to your faith, then my question to you would be, who do you know that's a Jesus follower? And can you commit some time to spend with them to talk about what are God's ways? What does God's word have to say? How does it matter in the life I'm living today, tomorrow, and next week? That's the process of growing up that none of us can do without. And if we won't, if we don't choose to grow, then we end up settling for knowing about God instead of actually knowing him. And it breaks his heart. It is much less than he wants for you and much less than he has to offer you. He wants you to know him. 
We also end up following others that we hope are following God because we don't know the way. And that puts us at very real risk of being misled. It's back to my seed. Like the seed has sprouted. It got into the dirt. It's getting watered. Here it comes, cute little sprout. And then we say, hey, I got a sprout. Sweet. And we put it on a shelf in a closet and close the door. Is the sprout going to keep growing? No. Will the sprout eventually die? Yes. There is not a, a, a homeostate, there's not a place you can stall out with Jesus that is healthy. Can I say that? There is always more and better and more and better and deeper with God. And if you don't know how to find that, grab one of us. Let's do this together. If you don't want that because you're pretty sure he's going to come after the thing that you're not letting him have, then you're on the shelf. Then you're in the closet. Then the sprout's not healthy. And again, our heart for you would be come into the family of God. We'll get you off the shelf. We'll get you in the game. And let's see where God goes with this. He has plans for you. So in surrender, as we grow, I wonder what shape does our God-centered, our cross-centered life start to take? What does that look like? How can it be recognized? I believe it is a life of sacrifice. Does that remind you of anybody? Sacrifice? Yeah. The cross represents all that Jesus gave up to come here in the first place and all that he suffered to save you and me. That, plus he's our creator and knows all the things we don't know, really does give him the right to ask us to follow his example in every way. And I believe the Bible makes a pretty compelling case that to sacrifice like Jesus boils down to two things. Loving others well and serving others often. That looks like Jesus. That's actually how he spent his time down here. That is true to the very core of his nature. Love others well, serve others often. That's what a plant looks like that's getting plenty of water, in good, good soil, lots of light, and even some miracle grow. It's blooming, it's growing, it's creating. Whether that's flowers or fruit, whatever it's designed to do, that's what growing results in. It yields something in our lives. Let me read you Galatians 5.13. that says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. We aren't healed just for our sake. We are healed because then we have something very real to share with someone who needs healing. All that we go through in our life with Christ is meant to yield something for others. All of it. The ugly parts, the hard parts, the beautiful parts the joyful parts, the scary parts, all of them, he can turn into something purposeful and beautiful for someone else. So, you know, God's not going to let me stand up here and deliver the hard news as if it doesn't apply to me. So at one point in my preparation, he said, oh, hey, 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 hi. Take a minute, Wendy, and make me a little list of the areas in your life that are not yet centered 
that are not yet cross-centered. So I'm gonna have Carol in the wedge throw up a chart. This is my doodle. Like literally it took me four minutes to think of all this. It is painfully true on most days. Just take a look, I'm gonna let you read it to yourselves. If your life looks like the right-hand column on most days, I would like to ask you to mentor me. <laughs> I would like to meet you after service. I would like to learn from you. I, I would like to take notes. If you are like me, and unfortunately more of the time you default back to the left-hand column, to the old life, and you struggle to get back to the right column, this is what it means to die to self. This is the very real work of the cross on any given Tuesday, if you will. And it isn't just true of us as individuals. There is a cross-centered life of our community, of our church family. Let me give you some examples. You could definitely, I'm assuming, that many of you already have plans for Halloween. But we live in one of the most densely populated little neighborhoods in Bellingham and we have an opportunity to serve others and to do something that might be their first introduction to God's people. Do we need all of you to show up? Nope, but I'm pretty sure God's trying to tap some of you and I'd ask that you listen, okay? And we can all buy candy. I'll give you another example where it says apathy. Who's aware that human trafficking is a thing? Anybody aware? Look at that not lost on us. There is a real evil in this world and it is called human trafficking. How many of you know that there is a little group of strong Christians up the road, literally up the guide, who run a little thing called Engedi Refuge Ministry? Anybody ever heard of them? All right. They're one of our community partners. And there were about 45, 50 of us that went out this weekend, could have done a lot of things. It was a nice weekend could have done a lot of things with our time. Instead, chose to paint their phase three home for the women who live there. All 11 rooms, double coats, taped it off the whole rigmarole. That's a way to spend a Saturday, right? That's a choice. That's a choice. That is the switch where you die to self and all the fun things you could be doing and you serve others. And what I can tell you is if you ask any of those 45 people, I, I don't think a single one regretted it. Not a single one. They had a good time. They saw God do things. They were amazed at how fast when we act like the body of Christ, you can get some stuff done. You can. <laughs> it's beautiful. So what do you think gets in the way most of the time? What stalls us out when we're making this shift from left to right? Good intentions. Because they feel so good. I so intend to care. I so intend to serve. I've thought about it. I even signed up once, I just never called the lady back. Lovingly, I would say, if you are not reinvesting your life in others and letting God lead you into the spaces you're meant to occupy, you're missing the funnest part of following Jesus. Please step into it. Right, anybody notice this very big cross right behind me? Is it in your way at all? 
right? It's looming over me for those of you in the room. And for those of you on home, you kind of can't see the screen so good. Yeah, we very much did that on purpose. We meant it to be in your way. We actually want all eyes on Jesus, and we need a, a tangible reminder that everything else is secondary. Everything else, even the churchy stuff, secondary. It's been a weird week around here, you guys. Legitimately a weird week. All of our normal rhythms got scrambled, and a bunch of us had to switch into different seats on the bus to get some things done. Some of us did news interviews, not our favorite thing, right? But God had intention. God had plans in the midst of all of that, and we're not even catching on to half of them yet. He's at work. So in the midst of all of that, I snuck in here to just sit here with the cross because people can't find me like they can in my office, so I might get some stuff done. Uh, and I was just sitting here, and, and Gary, real quiet from facilities, comes in and turns on the baptism tank, and so the, the sound of waters in the background. I'm like, oh, okay, that's not really distracting. And then poor Brian Steele comes in with a camera crew from, I think, Cairo and says, I need to, could you, okay. <laughs> so I trundle back to my office, and I think, it's okay. God talks to me everywhere. And the whisper, the thought in my head was actually centered. If you think about that word, centered, it implies a balance that hinges on whatever's in the middle. Right? You can't be centered and out of balance. So if the cross is what we've centered our lives on, then we are going to find balance and stability in the steadfast love we heard Eve read about from the Psalms and in his unchanging faithfulness, no matter what. I mean, our Israel team is a great example of that. Nothing about last week was convenient or comfortable for them, not nothing. It wasn't the plan, and it certainly wasn't what they had signed up for. But absolutely none of it caught Jesus off guard. I was talking to a couple of them in the comms, and I thought, I wish we all could have peeked at the itinerary he had written, because his didn't change. That was always going to be the plan. And he was absolutely, his presence and his compassion were steadily and readily available as they passed through all the different thoughts and feelings that this last week must have contained. He was their center. He was their place of balance. He was the stabilizing force. Times like those reveal what's really at the center of our lives. And our biggest choice in those moments is where we fix our eyes. I have a favorite hymn. I've already told Chris I'd like it played at my funeral. I'm weird like that. Uh, but it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But nobody's going to force you to look. You have to choose. Where do your eyes belong? And outside of crisis, it turns out the choice is the very same. Will we hurry and worry our way through life, feeding our anxiety and our fear? That's a choice. Or will we turn our eyes upon Jesus, slow down to be with him, which will feed our ability to trust? It's an everyday choice. Heck, it's an every minute choice. You're going to leave here today and immediately have to choose again. Hurry and worry hang out with Jesus. Hurry and worry. Who am I looking at? Who am I looking to to answer questions I have about my life? 
I hope it's Jesus because he will be the one who stabilizes you. So if you've surrendered and you're growing and your life reflects God's priorities to serve and love, but your internal world is still in the grip of fear, then I wonder today if the Holy Spirit is inviting you to create new rhythms that draw your focus to him more often. And we thought it might be helpful if you had a tiny, shiny cross to help you do that. So did anybody else get one of these on the way in? Would you get it out for me? I want you to just put it down in the center of your palm. And we made it tiny so that it could fit in a lot of places. You could put it in your pocket. You could tape it to your rearview mirror. You put it in a lot of places where you're going to encounter this over and over and over again in your day. And our hope is that it would be a reminder. But I'm not actually going to tell you what it's meant to remind you of. We're going to ask Jesus. Because I think he has a different answer for every single person in here. He knows you so personally. And there is something about him, about his cross, you've forgotten or lost track of that he deeply wants you to remember. So as I pray, I'm going to give you a few quiet moments to ask him what that might be. Then I'll close us in prayer, okay? Jesus. Jesus. Your cross holds so much meaning, so much power. Would you speak to each one of us about what it is we're meant to remember in the days and weeks to come? God, if that's the decision to surrender, thank you, thank you for our newest baby brother or sister. If it is the invitation to grow up, God, I pray that we would be the family full of disciples who are ready to walk that path with each other. If your reminder to some of us is to serve and to love, I trust you completely to nudge in the right direction, to cross their path with the right opportunity, to nudge. If it is your example of sacrifice, God, I'm guessing there is somewhere you need us to give something up. Make us brave, brave enough to follow. And if what we need most is actually the reassurance that our feet are planted on the only solid rock, God, would it be a reminder of that this week? Jesus, thank you that your plans for us are perfect that your character is awe-inspiring and contains all that we could possibly need. God, as we wrap up today, I trust that you go with each of us out into the real lives we have, and your invitation is personal and unique. Would you give us the courage to say yes? Thank you, God, for bringing our team home from Israel. We are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last little bit I'll leave you with is that, again, this is too hard to do by yourself. So if Jesus is stirring up something in you, I would highly recommend that you not leave today until you grab somebody and tell them. Say out loud, 
what God's inviting you to. There'll be some of us here across the front if that feels like the right place to go. Otherwise, nab somebody on your way out and just share, where is God calling you to take a next, to do a next, to be a next? Okay, it was very good to be with you this morning. Thank you for sharing in the joy of baptism and for going into some deep places with me. We will see you next week. Have a great week.